Hey everyone, I think I'm still on a high from finally being able to release Matt and Steve's episode. It's going to be a really tough act to follow, but I think I have two people that are in great position to do that. We have Max Levchin, who is best known for both Affirm and PayPal, two huge names in the fintech space, as well as Jackie Reeses, who's best known for Square, but is doing some really cool things at Lead Bank, and also did some really cool stuff in the space during her time at Yahoo and Alibaba. Um... I start off by asking about their meeting story, how those two knew each other. Thinking it was a pretty chill, like, oh yeah, we just met in an event or at Money 2020 or something. Nope, it uh, it's way cooler than that. So I'm excited for you to, to hear that part, as well as just their thoughts on what's been the biggest change they've seen in the industry, where fintechs added the most value to consumers and businesses, as well as where it's fallen behind and has some catching up to do. Um, so without further ado, I'm excited to release this episode as well. So let's dive in. So I've known the FS Vector team for my early days in fintech when I'd reach out to them to ask about all things fintech policy while covering the space at Bloomberg. Since then, they've continued to be a staple in my conversations with a number of the companies that I work with using them as a valuable resource for any of their consulting needs. One of the hardest parts of building a meaningful company in the world of finance is understanding actually what's happening in Washington with agencies, the administration, Capitol Hill, trade associations, you name it. That's why I recommend FS Vector. I used to contact them on a weekly basis during my time covering fintech at Bloomberg so I could stay up to date on all these things going on and really understand what they meant. So the FS Vector team has partners and senior advisors that have been cultivating strong relationships with policymakers, committee staff, agency heads for decades. Trust me, having advisors with these types of relationships is critical for fintech companies. So if you're looking to uplift your company's brand in D.C., lobby on a particular issue, draft and submit a comment letter, or even just establish a coalition of peers around particular issues, reach out to the FS Vector team at fsvector.com or click the link in the show notes. Jackie Reeses is the chair and CEO of Lead Bank, an FDIC-insured bank in Kansas City that enables banking services for builders and innovators. Previously, she was the executive chairman of Square Financial Services and Capital Lead. Prior to that, she had several leadership positions at Yahoo and was a partner at Apex Partners Worldwide. She also spent seven years at Goldman Sachs in M&A in the principal investment area. She is the chairwoman of the Economic Advisory Council of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. She's also on the board of directors for Endeavor, Affirm, and New Bank, and the board of advisors of the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Previously, she served on the board of directors for Alibaba Group. She's also been named one of Forbes self-made women, Fast Company's most creative people in business, and American Banker's Most Powerful Woman in Finance. Jackie received a bachelor's degree in economics with honors from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and holds multiple patents in payments and cryptocurrency. Max Levchin is the founder and CEO of Affirm, the payment network that empowers consumers and helps merchants drive growth. He is also the co-founder and chairman of Glow, a data-driven fertility company. Both companies were created and launched from a San Francisco-based innovation lab, HVF, which stands for Hard, Valuable, and Fun. Max was one of the original co-founders of PayPal, where he served as the chief technology officer until its acquisition by eBay in 2002. At that time, he was named the Technology Review TR100 
as one of the top 100 innovators in the world as well as innovator of the year. Prior to HVF, Max founded and was the CEO of Slide, a personal media sharing service that was acquired by Google in 2010. He also helped create Yelp, a consumer internet company where he served as chairman of its board of directors from its founding in 2005 until July of 2015. He served on the board of Yahoo, an internet company from 2012 until 2015. Max was born in Kiev, Ukraine before he moved to the U.S. and settled in Chicago in 1991. He holds a B.S. in computer science from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, where he founded and led four other technology startups. Max is a serial entrepreneur, computer scientist, philanthropist, and active investor in more than 100 startups. I've known both of you for a little bit, but I've never had each of you at the same time. So this is really exciting for me. I'll take any excuse to talk to you. We've never (laughs) been on a podcast together, by the way, even though we know each other well, we've never done this. So this is the first. Yay. Backing up. How do you, how did you guys meet? Let's see. We met, I think, at the World Economic Forum. Yes. For the first time. In 2012. Uh, There was a kind of. Yeah, it was like okay. a running running thing that now, unfortunately, dead president of Israel had a Shabbat dinner that he hosted in Davos, Switzerland, which is exactly, I mean, it, it's what I think World Economic Forum likes to sell as like reasons to go to World Economic Forum. You could have Shabbat dinner with the president of Israel. And uh, it was actually a very well attended shindig. And so we were there and I think we're like at the same table or something. Nice. Well, what were you each doing back in 2012? Because neither of you were like dead set on the space from the beginning, I would want to say. And like, correct me if I'm wrong on that, too. But I feel like you both come at it from a different, different angle. And, uh, you know, I just want to explore why, why fintech? So I've worked in the creation of financial products for 30 years in lots of different forms. And they started in a very traditional context within private equity and credit funds and then evolved when I moved to California in 2012 into more technical components. And it's hard to actually say when the beginning of fintech was. And so I think that's an interesting way to frame it because I probably would have Mm -hmm. said Max was there at the earliest end of it at PayPal. Um, the more technical sense of what fintech has become. But I think the definition of fintech is so blurred with generalized finance. It's hard to know what fintech really is today, which I think is a good thing, versus what it started as, where there was a real distinction between traditional old school financial products and those that are trying to create financial applications online. And so I think the distinction mattered more 15 years ago than it does today. Where, when you moved to California in 2012, where were Yahoo. you? Yahoo. Development okay. officer of cool. Yahoo. And Max was one of our board members. So we spent a lot of time together. Yeah, that, that, that's where we met properly, quote unquote. And Max, where were you in 2012? It was between jobs. To quote, since since we're on my, yeah. since we're we're on my dude 
meme. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie Big Lebowski, hence the, uh, the reference to the dude as much as, <laughs> as often as possible. Um, but uh, I was, uh, as the dude himself says, I'm unemployed. Or at the time, my answer would have been, I'm unemployed. Uh, but it was actually right before a firm was founded and just after I left my Google captivity after Slide, after we sold the company to Google, and I spent a year there helping them integrate the team and everything. And so I was, I'm not, I don't consider myself a professional board sitter and hope, hope to never become one, but for a brief shining moment, I decided I need to go do my friend Marissa a favor or a solid, really, not so much a favor. And uh, it was it was an interesting enough drama at the time. So I, I joined the Yahoo board and met Jackie there, who was, every time I show up for a board meeting, Jackie had a new title. <laughs> cool. well, I had all the Alibaba, so it was, uh, it was a very unusual work situation to be involved in all the Alibaba experiences. And so I think the title evolved to whatever yes. the experience was at the time. Yes. And Jackie, you referred to like fintech wasn't really a thing back in 2012. Like it was kind of still developing and whatnot. And you like today consider PayPal very much one of the OG fintechs. But back when Max was starting PayPal, I don't think they really necessarily would have called it fintech. They probably would have had some other name for it. So let's step back again to 2012. What were some of the key initiatives that you think fintech was focused on then and sort of contrast that to where we're focused in fintech today? Because I think a lot has changed in the last 11, almost 12 years. Fintech has gone through sort of several of these waves of self-purges where we kind of balloon into like, oh, anything goes. And then like, oh, wait, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to do this or this. And the thing that's always made sense to do is payments. That's why it was the very first one. So when PayPal was born or founded, there were already a couple of companies doing online payments. It was all sort of super early and everything was clunky. But like you could process credit cards online with a company called Accept.com for a hot second. Then they were acquired into Amazon and Amazon payments is what accept.com built but when we were founding paypal i knew accept.com existed and like when i looked around they're like oh wait they're gone they're been acquired by amazon and so so even then there's some precedent but the build up to 2012 timeline roughly was payments so this was a time where people looked around and said wait a second paypal is not all that and this whole idea of ach to card cost arbitrage is a clever idea and all but there's more to it than that and stripe was founded on this notion that maybe you don't need the arbitrage you can just build a really really good developer friendly payment processor and that'll be enough and they were right Um, but then in parallel this idea of lending money to small businesses which was the hotness of the time is just a really not that hard of a thing. You know, there's never been a big consolidated play. And so you saw all these things like the one, I think, or is that, I don't remember their name. One is a is a name that gets recycled in FinTech a lot. There's now another one. And before that, there was another, another one. But so <laughs> companies like Cabbage, for example, they were all kind of around at that time. And many of them, Capital One, Capital One, um, something Capital Network, if I remember correctly, there's that. And so a lot of these companies are gone. Cabbage, I think, is I, <laughs> I, I try to purge my brain of these as well as they, as they tend to uh, not stick around. But at the time, the thing was consumer payments and small business lending. Small business lending to turn out to be a really, really, really hard thing to do. And payments is a really, really, really 
low margin thing to do. So only the strongest survived in both of those businesses because just unless you get to huge scale, card processing is just not worth it. And lending to small businesses are great until there's even the slightest number of small business bankruptcies and then you're toast. And so the, 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 it was not the easiest times then, it still isn't. But that that was the state of FinTech in the, 2012. Consumer lending was not The other bad. dynamic that we witnessed, and um, Max and I were both a part of it, more through Alibaba, was at the time China had catapulted the U.S. in terms of payments and money movement, more because of a weakness where they didn't have a credit card system that worked. And so they needed to leap forward. And so um, Alipay and um, different systems there that Tencent built, they had two, became the um, keystone payment systems in China. And they became massive. You know, everyone used um, WeChat and um, Alipay and they had a combined system of commerce and lending and a broad um, perspective on different products they could launch because they owned the data of consumers in China. And so they were able to roll out an entire platform of products that to this day are still massive platform products and an app that everyone in China has to have. And so that was going on concurrent with the development in the United States of more uh, horizontal type fintechs. VCs for a long time would ask companies, what can you bring to China? And then geopolitical changes obviously made that question less and less likely to have a real conversation follow it. But 2012 was the first time I heard VCs ask entrepreneurs in the US a question, what are you doing that's like WePay or Alipay, because those things are exploding. And like, why isn't this possible here? Why haven't you built an app already? And of course, lack of credit card system is what made them possible. But it was sort of the first, like, you know, this is before and financial and before all these really huge conglomerate type things in, in China. But the just the pure payments and tender delivery using apps totally came here from China. Hi, fintech friends. Okay, mark your calendars for the event happening during New York Fintech Week, the 2024 Empire Fintech Conference. Picture this, a day jam-packed with masterclasses, live demos, inspiring keynotes, riveting live podcasts, and unparalleled networking opportunities. Join over 700 attendees, myself included, on Wednesday, April 10th, and immerse yourself at the forefront of fintech innovation. As a special treat to our listeners, a.k.a. you, you can use code FINTECHOG for 15% off at checkout. Just go to empirestartups.com to grab your ticket today. And both of you have obviously been very successful in the fintech space since you joined. What have been some of the key decisions that you've made that have brought you to where you are today? I think two things. One is a deep curiosity about the arcane mechanics of the financial system. Like I truly enjoy digging deep and understanding why the system works the way it does. I've been in it for 30 years. And then at the same time, an appreciation for operating within that system of law and regulation and trying to be creative around it but appreciating the way things are and 
you know, wanting to do right in a regulatory system that can get a lot of people in trouble. And so I've always operated in highly regulated businesses with hundreds of licenses that I felt personally responsible for or a bank charter or something. And so I always kind of combine this curiosity and willingness to dig deep and change the way something's been done before, but at the same time say, yeah, but I got to operate here. I understand this is a rule that can't be changed. Let me figure out how to be curious about that. And I love doing that. Um, and so I find that personally fun. I think that's why I like FinTech so much, but there aren't that many people who've enjoyed bridging both worlds in the way that I have. Not super different, actually. So I got this really good advice from my wife right after I left Google, speaking of 2012, where she said, that, you know, you've tried all sorts of things, but the thing that worked well is the thing that you happen to really enjoy, and that's financial services. So, you know, do yourself a favor, do another financial services company. Don't try to be a media mogul or... You know, whatever it is you think you are, you're not. You're you just you really are just good at one thing. And my wife is infinitely smarter than I am. She was right, or at least the, the, the advice led to uh, some good decisions. the The reason I am reasonably good at this financial services thing is I love huge complex systems, and that's where sort of fast twitch is not nearly as important as endurance and strategy. So you can plan your motion out quite far and you can outthink your opponents. You can build a real strategy that spans many years, you know, decades even, versus just trying to figure out what the next thing looks like. And so it just naturally appeals to me as somebody who basically prefers to move deliberately versus spastically. Um, it's an enormous market and enormous markets are just really really fun you, you feel like you have impact on human lives you can really do something for the world as opposed to a small part of it and I, you know my, my own personal illusions of grandeur involve hoping to to help as many people as possible and then on the other side of it is what jackie said it's, it's a slightly different version of the same idea but i think it, it kind of amounts to the same thing in in payments in particular and in lending certainly there's lots and lots of people that say will move so quickly or so stealthily that whatever misdeeds or mistakes we make, it's not going to matter. The regulators aren't going to catch on fast enough. We're going to be able to pave over some problems we cause just by sort of being quick. And my take has always been, actually, we want to be the good guys. We want to be the guys that everybody kind of wakes up and says, those are the good guys. Like, there's no dispute. Like, yeah, no, nobody's immune to making mistakes or whatever, but we will always be deliberately compliant with the laws. We'll always deliberately seek out a relationship with regulators as opposed to try to pretend like, you know, they can't know we exist. And you can't sort of fake that. You also have to take a posture that your customers matter to you, that when people are upset, you have to stand up for them and help them. And you know, if there's a dispute, you help resolve it. If there's a bad merchant, you try to figure out a way to make consumers whole and fire the bad merchant. And so this kind of a, we want to be the good guys you know, with extreme prejudice makes it both comfortable and also in many ways a positive thing to be regulatorily compliant because so that allows you to have relationships with regulators that aren't like well i hope you don't come over and so that that's a yet another version of you know it's better to move deliberately than to just try to skate by which always appealed to me um 
And then I think the other part of what I like about payments and and in the, this whole financial services world, money is this weird thing where it should be super rational, but it's actually deeply emotional, and people are sometimes uncomfortable with money, sometimes uncomfortable talking about money, sometimes uncomfortable thinking or counting their own money because that's just a source of stress they'd rather not know. And so as much as I'd like to sort of pretend to be this, like, you know, I'm just helping this little mechanical or robotic niche, I feel like we're actually removing, you know, stress and hopefully adding a little bit of joy to people that use your products. And that's a nice thing to, to think about. Well, thank you, Nelly, for telling you to stay in fintech, as I used a firm to buy both my Peloton bike and my Peloton tread, which adds a lot of joy to my life. So thank you. Uh, out of curiosity, what were some of the other things that you were exploring besides staying in financial services? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I did start on the side uh, a data-driven fertility company. Oh, interesting. That could have been a so, fun one, too. Uh, it's still around. Uh, it's actually, it's very cool. It's called Glow. I remember and, that, actually. Uh, it I, that was Yahoo it, era. I feel like I, I've heard of this. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was, as I was feeling around for what am I going to do with myself, I was like, why not data science and fertility? And so we launched it at a conference where it was like, you know, I think Kara Swisher thought it was the coolest thing I've ever done. Um, <laughs> And it is one of the cooler things I've done, but I'm definitely not meant to run a fertility company. I'm meant to run financial services companies. Uh, I looked at, so actually, I, I tend to be very deliberate about starting companies because I like to believe that if I start one, I want to be with it for as long as possible. And so if you only have like, you know, what are these, like five, six, 10 companies you can start in your lifetime, you don't want to be like, oh, cool, this neat thing. Oh, wait, sorry, that didn't work out. So you, you want to be deliberate. You want to spend a lot of time thinking, what is you going to commit to? So I make lists of industries that I care about or genres that I'm excited about or types of problems I want to solve. And then I s deliberately go through the list of like, all right, not this, not this, this. So I made this list. It was like energy, food, education, access to water, um, cybersecurity, financial services. And Nelly was like, yada, 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 yada. Ah, you're only good at one thing. Go do the one <laughs> at the end. I'm like, Okay. Well, hey, she wasn't wrong. You might have been good at the other no, she's, things she's, too. She's, but... She is sometimes annoyingly, but mostly <laughs> for the, all the right reasons, pretty much always right. <laughs> well, both of you are product people by nature. Um, what do you think have been some of the most impactful products in the fintech space over the past decade? And you can include your own in this as well, but <laughs> on top of that. Like, I'll start a little less with a product and more a concept. And I think of it as um, one of the most innovative and impactful things in the US and frankly, you know, other geographies is the use of algorithmic lending. I feel like it'll totally change the way small businesses and even subprime consumers can access credit which to me is the underpinning of a healthy economy. Like you can't have a healthy local economy without loans in an economy. You know, consumers need loans in order to help smooth cash flows in their day-to-day -day life. And the idea that you could use alternative data sources in order to lend, I think is the best invention, one of the best inventions of FinTech. Because we took something that used to be a country club local relationship and turned it into something where the numbers don't lie. 
and you can use very creative data sources in order to give people credit and help them change their life. And I, I think that has had such a profound impact on companies, on people, on communities. And I think it's only extending into different types of data sources and different types of products as the definition of underwriting goes from kind of the more traditional loan concepts to more creative, short-term, even instant types of financing products where your identity needs to be verified and therefore you get immediate funds. And that quote counts as an underwriting of advanced funds. And so I see that as just such an incredible invention. And there are a lot of channels that do underwriting in a really creative way both on a horizontal as well as like vertical niches that I think have really been an incredible opportunity for people. Like payments to me is less emotional. Payments to me is a little bit more transactional and we're smoothing infrastructure. Lending to me is the most emotional product you could have and just like an unbelievable life change. Max, you're shaking your head yes throughout Jackie's response. (laughs) I mean, Jackie's on my board, so it, it would be shocking if she was like, actually, lending is just such a stupid thing. Like, I don't really these people who waste their lives. No, uh, no so I, I think we probably not an accident. We're on the same podcast. Um, we tend to agree. Uh, let's see. I'm, tr- I'm trying to come up with something that's different, maybe controversial. Um, so I think... I agree with everything Jack said about lending. I think lending is a profoundly important thing. And when we started a firm, one of the sort of little internal catchphrases I used a lot was debt is bad, credit is essential. Like if you're in debt, nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's just like a sort of awful thing. We don't really, you know, neither borrow nor lender be. We all sort of brought up with that. But on the flip side, consumer lending in particular, and just the sort of Cambrian explosion of buy now, pay later, and other forms of access to credit for consumers is really powerful. And it's not without its problems. I think in the earliest versions of some of these marketplace lending type companies, you saw crazy rates and you saw people using a loan to refinance their credit card debt only to go and load up on more credit card debt. And so there, there's plenty of societal exhaust that wasn't good. And the market and the regulators are cleaning out some of the things that need to be cleaned out. But all things kept equal, I think that that's been extraordinarily positive. And, and this is really the last decade. Um, before that, to sort of give props to Jackie's former alma mater, I think Square really burst onto the scenes. One of my greatest failures as an angel investor, I saw the original prototype with Jack sort of like literally with like a you know, wire sticking out of a breadboard and a disemboweled card reader saying, I'm going to plug this into a phone and it's going to be amazing. I was like, ah, like it's a solved problem, man. Verifone. It's like, Verifone's ugly and this is going to be beautiful. I'm like, ah, this is the thing with like yellow wire coming out on the side. Like, I feel like I need to snip it before something explodes. And he was totally right. And I was totally wrong. And so I think just the democratization of card processing offline is entirely Square's doing and bringing design into the idea of payment processing. Like before Square burst on the scene, the notion of 
beautiful design as a reason for people to transact or pick a payment product was just not a topic. You would look at, you know, the old card processing box and, you know, it's big enough to hit somebody over the head and knock them out. That changed pretty dramatically. And so that's a major component that, you know, relatively new and a big change of that. That's quite important that we now, of course, take for granted because Square's been around for a while. Um, I think the jury's still out or the, the story's still being written about neobanking in this country. If you look at Newbank and some of the new new and EW banks worldwide, some of them have just flopped and others have thrived. And maybe it's as much about the competitors locally or the incumbents locally as it is about the startups. But at least some of the startups just really make the world a better place around them. Like Newbank is beloved because of what they do for their customers and they're successful. Jackie, because, you're on yeah. their board, right? I am. I pick well. Jackie, like you guys should literally I, just. Like, no, you know what? Jackie is like literally the, 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 the. I love to work with brilliant founders because I am a first time founder. And so if I could absorb some of their incredible energy and insight, I will and hopefully share back uh, my own. But albeit in, in smaller ways, I'm sure. Y'all just agree on way too much on here. I need to find an area where you guys just like can go at it. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I also think, so Neobanks, I totally agree on that. I also think we're not great on the expense side. Like Square, Stripe started on, and Shopify really started on revenue. If you think about what point of sale actually is. Like that's a concept of making the experience of revenue really good. They don't know how to manage expenses underneath that really well. And um, I do think there's still a broad need for how expenses get managed and how payouts get managed because there's still well, so much complexity around that. that Check, me- ACA, like all the tender types and ways to pay are way too complicated yeah. still. Well, that just leads me to the next question, though, too. Like, if we were to do this conversation in another 10 years, what do you think would be the key products that come out in that time frame? And, and it sounds like, Jackie, one of them you think is better expense management tools. Yeah, we'll have aggregated and, co- like, created a way to match revenue to expenses. And we hopefully will be looking at things as cash flow balances, so monthly cash flow balances, more than we were looking at things in discrete buckets of revenue capture and expense management. So I think that's point one. And then I think um, we'll be able to use different tender types in a far more fluid way around the world to move money around the world. And today it's still complicated, particularly on multinational transactions. And, you know, I see the companies starting today that are trying to streamline money movement around the world. And it feels like they're onto something big in order to make that easy because we're now at a point where both suppliers and people for companies have transcended borders. And so the need for money to transcend borders has to match that in a corporate context and today it's very cumbersome so that's the other theme i think will totally look different 10 years from now so the one thing that i think we keep trying and every generation of startups has one of these or two of these or 10 of these and then they eventually die off 
is PFMs, personal financial managers. So Mint just announced their demise or their you know orderly wind down. And I think, I forgot how many customers they have, 20 million? And so like on the one hand, you know, God, that's a, that's a big customer list. But if you look at it, and I spent a fair amount of time looking at all these products, at the moment at least, they are the domain of the people who don't need them. Like before Mint was the cost lever in Silicon Valley, you know, what it was 15 years ago, people that were the earliest adopters of Mint were balancing their checkbooks on paper. And right after that, they were using Excel. And after that, some kind of a Excel-ish like app. And then finally, they were given an app that did a little bit more work. And like, oh my God, great. Now my checkbook is really balanced. But they're not the ones that need personal financial help. And for people who are like, oh man, I don't want to look at my checking account balance because I think I'm going to bounce my next rent, are exactly the people that need this personal financial manager help. And yet they are even willing to go through the onboarding process and connect their bank accounts using Plat or whatever, and then the usage just falls off a cliff because if you don't have the money, it's very hard to receive advice about how you should treat your money right and you know, do better. And so I think, and I, I don't know what the solution looks like, and I am one of these, I think I've, I've acquired no fewer than a handful of these PFMs in my life as an entrepreneur for this company and others. And they these acquisitions work out as ways of getting great people because they really bleed for the consumer. They really want to see the world a better place for the financial point of view. But the products are always meant to help the ones that need it the most, but really only help the ones that don't need any help at all. And so I think that's, and, and you know, maybe with the advent of AI or brain plugs or something, we're finally going to get to a place where like that, that will be, you know, it'll be more successful, but th- there has not been a truly successful PFM. And the fact that, people are now clamoring who's the next mint only tells you that mint has been yet another example of like, well, this is not the right way to do personal financial help. Um, I'm fairly bullish on a company called wise where full disclosure, I am a shareholder, small one, uh, as far as cross border stuff is concerned. And that's the area for a long time. I thought, you know, somebody's gotta bring a little bit of a battle to, um, Western Union and MoneyGram and all these characters and Wise did a lot of that. So I feel like that that's a scenario that's happening. Tender delivery at the point of sale is this wacky thing where it's been forever fragmented and no one's figured out. Like it, it's the simplest thing in the world. Like literally I show you a barcode, you show me a camera and that's it. The tender should have been delivered. And yet, because that's the first step, not the last step, like, well, how does that go against, oh God, you know, inventory management? How does that get into some kind of a processing pipeline? So no one's really figured out how to wholesale fix that and fixing it by parts is really difficult. Um, You know what? Going back to WISE and the concept of design, (laughs) WISE did an amazing job in adding design to both this borderless commerce idea as well as B2B commercial activity. And they did it with an, you know, a, a design orientation in a way that their peers, if they have peers, did not focus. It's a really, I think Wise is a really good example of a cool, innovative company. These have extraordinary marketing campaigns. Like every year they would stage mm-hmm. these wild parades where people would protest bank fees by 
dressing up into skeletons and all kinds of wacky stuff. They're like in, in, and Jackie's in not on their board, surprisingly. Oh. Jackie's not on their board. Very strange. We have, we have a mutual uh, friend who's on their board, though, yeah. so it's, a, it's, it's one, one step removed. It, there's always just, what, like one, two degrees of separation or whatever. Yeah, um, there's a yes. lot of people who've been at it for a long time. Um, it takes a special kind of masochist. <laughs> for each of you, what's been one high and one low, personally, in your, in your time here? And then I have a quick fire round of questions too. Time here. What do you mean by that? On this podcast? Yes. What has been your high on this podcast? <laughs> no, like your time in. <laughs> what's been a, a key highlight and a low light? I mean, like the, the, the pits of despair. So at PayPal, when I realized that we were basically already dead because fraud was killing us in sort of mid 2000 and it was sort of like, all right, we're, we're going to die and I should probably just start polishing my resume because this is the last startup I'm going to fail at because my parents are going to tell me to go get a straight job. And like I was sort of wallowing in my misery for like a full half an hour. And I was like, well, obviously somebody's going to have to fix it. It's going to be me. So I'm off, off I go. And, you know, six months later we were a little bit okay. And we obviously did okay at the end, but that was scary and sad. Uh, in the early days of a firm, we had this bug where we literally, we were very, very small, but a long time ago, so at this point I can speak freely about it. But uh, we literally thought something was expressed in dollars within a risk model, but it was expressed in pennies. And so if you think that your, your exposure is one and you think, well, that's a penny, but it's actually a dollar, can get yourself 100x the losses that you thought you did and we did for a brief moment but when i it was one of these rare situations where i was looking at something standing up and just sat down and there was no chair so i just kind of fell down on the floor i was like oh my god like we're 100x more in the hole than i thought we were and you know at the time it was like oh wow like hundreds of thousands of dollars of potential loss and today I'm like oh yawn okay whatever like we'll we would have fixed that but at the time i thought that we must be dead and Getting on the phone, explaining it to investors was no picnic. And six months later, we were fine. So the, 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 the low points are the beginnings of some kind of an interesting climb. And the high points are when you're like, yeah, we bested that challenge too. Like, what, what's going to hit us in the face next? Yeah. I, um, I think my highlights are associated with starting lead. I feel like we have the trust of people who I have a great amount of respect for. And that's investors, it's clients, it's co-founders, it's employees. And on all four of those dimensions, I feel gifted with the best. And that means that we must be delivering on our end to a degree of excellence that I think I, it just makes me so extremely happy. It like, I get so much joy out of that. It's been a true life highlight that kind of trust. Um, and I'd regulators, you know, I'll put that in there where I feel like we have their trust and we have to earn it every day, but we have their trust. I'd say the low points for me are similar to the way Max framed it, where like you're going up a climb. Like I remember trying to get a banking license at Square and we were turned down at least five times. And in the most confounding situations that were like illogical and I didn't understand. And 
I just remember sitting there like, it can't be, it can't be that this is what it is. This makes no sense. And just wanting to bash my head against the wall with confusion and frustration. And, you know, you kind of pick yourself up and you get back and you just push forward. And like, I've never felt lows like that where like, I just didn't understand why we were being punched in the face in something. And, um, it hurt mm. pretty profoundly. <laughs> um, and so those were some of my, it all worked out lows. in the end again. So yeah, that's good. it did work out in the end, but it hurt getting there. Uh, quick fire round. Um, if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Jackie? Um, Marie Curie She has two Nobel prizes. And the second one was almost not afforded to her because she was getting divorced. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Max, what about you? John von Neumann. Is he a cyclist? No. <laughs> uh, he is, he was probably second most important computer scientist in history. Alan Turing was certainly the founder of the field. And I'd want to have dinner with him too, but I feel like John von Neumann might, might have been a more interesting conversationalist. One of his offhanded claims was when he was young it was possible to know half of all mathematics. And by the time he was dying, it was only possible to know a quarter, which suggests that throughout his life, he knew at some point what all of mathematics was and could pick out the fact that he knew at least half of it. Anyway, he, he was a, I'm a huge fan of polymath. So like the, the, the list for me is Leonardo da Vinci, Alan Turing, John von Neumann, Charlie Munger, like people that were excellent in terms of navigating knowledge from completely unrelated domains. There we go. Uh, other than your spouses, who do you call when you're having a hard time? Um, I have a small crew of people that report to me at a firm. They're, the internal nickname for them is the firefighters. We have a firefighters <laughs> meeting every Wednesday morning. And I, it, it may sound a little almost, almost too trite, but I love my little firefighters crew and it was always the case it, it takes a long time to at least for me it's take always taking a very long time to build the perfect little team but jackie knows exactly who they are since she's on the board and i think i've never had it as good as i have today in terms of my executive team and we're close enough friends where i feel comfortable calling nelly for advice and or michael my cfo and or libor my president or the three at the same time. Like we're, we're both, you know, coworkers and friends, and the, the, those are the best kind of relationships. Awesome, Jackie. What about you? I have two groups. Um, one is my co-founders who've worked with me in multiple companies. We have such an extreme level of trust because we've been together in different capacities, and so we have such an honest, open relationship with one another and amongst the group that it's extraordinary. And I like, it is an absolute gift to have that because I think it allows for the rest of the team to operate in a certain way to see that level of humility and openness. And so it's, for certain things, I go to that group. And then I have a group of women who are like really good friends. And I put Nellie in that group who are like smart, powerful, cool chicks. And I feel like my generation of women had a smaller peer set 
of kind of power brains and just dealing with professional issues and home issues in a very different context. And so when you find peers that you could call up and just have, uh, please help me with this kind of con conversation, it's really fun. And usually that group likes each other. You can create like subgroups of that group. Um, and like the women in finance is a really small group of people, Carrie Wheeler, Nelly, you know, Mary Meeker. It's, it's not that many people uh, to go to. And so it's, uh, it's kind of a fun group of people. One personal highlight from this past year could be travel, it could be kids, it could be cooking, something that is not related to lead. So I have a child who was in a tough health situation, mental health issue, mm. and I feel like this year was a turning point to the positive in a mm. way that just, you're only as happy as your least happy child. And so it's been an incredibly extraordinary year to watch one of my kids evolve from an independence and ability to succeed. Um, and so it really has been a great year for me. 2023 was an amazing, I had a really good year. Aww. That was a huge part of it. Yay. Max, what about you? And we have a kid who's applying to high school, high schools and one that's a year and a half behind that. So fortunately, not going to wood, everybody's healthy and, and well. And so there's no no breakthroughs on that front necessary, which which is exactly how I like it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm staring at 50 and I just posted best ever 20 minute power output on the bike. Ooh, there you go. So I feel like I'm, I, I've, I've long been expecting to decline as a cyclist for, uh, not yet for the for the last few years. Yeah, <laughs> every year is the one where you're like, all right, can I can I better my my endurance output? Um, but yeah, no, 23 was it began dark and low for a lot of people, and uh, we were the worst performing stock, I think, by at least some measure in 22, and in 23 we had this huge recovery, and uh, the team really rallied. My family was extraordinarily supportive all throughout the process. So it, it, it was a good year, even though I think it began inauspiciously. And uh, we exited 23 feeling like it was good. Yeah, started off not feeling like it was going to be so great, but ended well. So you yeah. climbed that mountain. Pun intended, by awesome. the way. Yeah, thank you, guys. Pun intended on the bike. <laughs> <laughs> With a very good power output. I'm still bummed you didn't ride the bike during this podcast, but next time. Right, we, next we, time. Can do a, we can do a, a do-over, and I will definitely. Uh, <laughs> I used to, uh, during COVID, I was trying to model kind of a stay active during the lockdown, stay, mm -hmm. you know, stay positive, stay active, do something. And so I would host our weekly business review meetings, which I've shortened them since, but at one point they would run as, as long as two and a half hours. And I would do like a hold threshold power for two and a half hours and uh, see if I could speak to like, you know, urgent business issues and became a little bit of a thing. And then at some point people told me, you know, like you, you and of course I would do it with the camera off so they wouldn't see me mm -hmm. drenched. But uh, somebody eventually told me, like, you, you think we can't tell that your heart rate is at 150s? Like we can't, we really can't. Like, right. <laughs> I, I may be the only one who's enjoying this.
That's too funny. Uh, well, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Just give it, like, both of you just have such crazy schedules and everything. Um, and I can't believe you never had been on a podcast together before. I'm glad I was the one that finally made that. We've happen. gone on things before <laughs> and after each other, never together. But it's great. That's All true. All right. Well, here we go. We see each other in a lot of green rooms. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>